0: Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast, and everything you need to know to ride like a pro.
1: Fast Talk is sponsored by Cork, maker of kick-ass bicycle technology systems. Now, with Cork Prime, you can hit the ground running. Bicycle makers are shipping bikes with the new Cork Prime Power Ready Crankset. Add the affordable Cork D Zero Power Meter Spider you are ready to achieve new personal bests. Ask your bicycle dealer about Quark Prime. Any break I get into, I work with it.
2: Because even if I get lost from the break, I'm still gonna be ahead of the whole field. And that's how you gain experience. Because even if you're in that break, it doesn't necessarily mean that that exact break composition is gonna make it to the line. There's still however much left in the race to actually decide if you want to get away from the break or if you want to keep the break together. Do you need to stay with the break? Can you go solo after this? Are you even capable of doing anything or just staying on the back and trying to follow? So there's a lot of components that come into play. But for me, I would always suggest just riding at least the first 5k to establish a gap.
1: Hello and welcome to Fast Talk, News training podcast. I'm Kaylee Fretz, across the table as always from my co-host Trevor Connor. Today's episode, we're talking about breakaways, how to get in them, how to make them work, do's and don'ts. With us for some extra insight are Tom (laughs) Squidgeons. Close enough. (laughs) Tom, uh, could you tell us how to say your last name real quick? So my last name is Squinch. 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 Yeah. I even wrote it phonetically on my little piece of paper here. And I you, still got it totally and you, wrong. Uh, you say the S on Tom's as well. Toms? Uh, I do, yes. But yes. Let's, let's do <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we're here with Tom's, uh, a pro with Cannondale Drapak, uh, winner two years in a row of stages of the Tour of California. Uh, you may remember the breakaway this year. Uh, it was a an excellent effort, and so we brought Tom's in to provide a little bit more insight into how to make breakaways work. Uh, we also have with us our own managing editor, Chris Case. That's correct pronunciation, yes. Cool, I got that one totally <laughs> right. <laughs> Welcome, to fast talk. Let's make you fast. Oh, we are just on top of our game today. Okay, so let's let's dive let's dive straight into this one. Tra- discussing training and, and watts and power meters and things is all quite a bit easier I think than discussing things like tactics uh, but we're gonna we're gonna give it a go today and we have a couple very intelligent and experienced people along with us to help make that happen. I think the first thing we want to talk about is how to get away from a peloton And I guess maybe a good place to start, Tom's is could you tell us the, uh, the story? of your California breakaway real quick? How you, how you how you got into that breakaway to begin with and then how you made it work?
2: So I'll do both years yeah. <laughs> just to make it because they were a bit different. The first year it was really hard and we were racing hard, super hard for like an hour or so. And everyone's getting tired. There's more and more serious moves going up the road where you're like, okay, this could last, this could last. And uh, finally there were Four guys up the road and me and two more bridged, which made us a group of seven. They gave us like four minutes, I think, at one point max. And uh, that was exactly when we hit uh, Mount Hamilton. And then I rode away from everyone.
3: And it <laughs> easy.
2: <laughs> Very easy. No problem.
3: Yeah. Easy. So here's our <laughs> advice for today, everybody? Just ride okay. away. <laughs>
2: but... Of course, I knew I had to ride away because there were guys that were faster than me in the break,
1: which you meant mean faster in
2: sprint. Faster in yeah. sprint, exactly. So I had to push the pace a bit earlier on. And I knew the course beforehand, which meant that I knew that after the climb, there's not really much of road where to chase on because you did a big descent, another climb. And then after those two climbs, there was, I'd say, 20 Ks flattish till the bottom of the last K which was mm-hmm. all uphill and misery for me mm-hmm. <laughs> but after those two climbs that meant the field's not going to be as big as it would be in a normal race scenario where you're just approaching the final 1k from a flat, just totally flat race and the field was just 40 guys or something left which meant there was less chasing power which played in the hand which was a big benefit for me. And uh, that's the only reason I made it stick. (laughs) But that's also, I already knew that and I already planned on that. So for sure, the first thing you do, especially in a stage race is pick the days that tactically would make sense to get in the break. And this year it was a bit uh, different. I would say it was harder actually Just because the first 40, 50 Ks were flat. So it meant that big groups were going all the time. And it's a lot harder to get in a break because it's harder to read the race, which break is going to be the right one. However, when the group is single file, you you know that everyone's going really hard. And if someone can accelerate, then not a lot of people can follow. And this year we were... A group of I'd say almost 20 guys off the front and we didn't have that big of a gap as I did the year before I think we finished like 30 seconds well within a minute I think from the field whereas before that I had more than a minute for sure and this year the difference was that I didn't come to the line alone but yet again I knew that I'm faster than the two guys I was with so I could commit myself to the
1: break and just wait for the final 200. You said, you also said that you, you have to pick days really carefully in a stage race. Uh, so a race like California, let's let's just continue to use that because I think our listeners are probably pretty familiar with it. And obviously, that, that's what you can speak to most directly. Did you go into those, those races with those specific stages in mind? Or do you wake up that morning and say, I feel like Rocky Balboa today and I'm just going to go for it is it how planned is it i guess for me it's usually very planned
2: (laughs) but at the same time you have to look at how the race develops it's not always that the days you pick before the race three weeks four weeks out are the days that will succeed however both years those two days i had picked in advance they weren't the only days but Reading the Peloton, reading the, ra- the day before the racing, how hard or how easy it was, you can also tell what the race is going to be like
3: the next day. So about a year back, a pretty stunning writer at Bella News wrote a piece about uh, breakaways and referred to it as an Who an was that, point. Trevor? Who was that stunning writer
1: at Bella News? <laughs> I think it
3: just says staff at the bottom, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: oh,
4: yeah.
3: Sorry to interrupt. We, we take pity. Is that what that says? <laughs> so Kaylee wrote that breakaways are really an art form, uh, that there's a lot of other elements of cycling that they're about strength. They're just about how hard you can go. But breaking away is all about finding that right move, going at the right time, knowing how to to be in the break, when to how to size up your opponents for the win. So it, it's really, there is a huge art form to it. And what's fantastic is to hear what it is like a, at the pro level, but I'm going to come in as the coach here. And when you are at the master's level, when you're at the, the local categorized races, it doesn't always work so seamlessly. You start seeing people chasing down their own teammates. You start seeing people getting on every move. So what would be great is let's now talk about, for a lot of you out there, our listeners who are going to be going to the race on the weekend, How do you identify the move? How how do you know when that's the riders you want to go with? Or how do you yourself know when's the right time to break away in a race? So let me throw that out to to all of you.
1: Wow. I think that, (laughs) uh, well, so all of us in this room have done our our fair share of bike racing. Probably not uh, as many bike races or quite as well as Tom's has. Uh, (laughs) But we've we've done our, our fair share of bike racing. And I do you're right amateur amateur racing is a totally different ball game from what we see in the pros I mean Tom's do you do you chase your own teammates down all that often no <laughs> that's not generally the idea so you, you came up through the juniors and and the u23s though did you ever run into that kind of stuff and then obviously once you get into the pros maybe we can learn about amateur racing a little bit by where you've been if that makes any sense do you do you remember dealing with that when you were younger
2: yeah when i was a junior of course there were times when teammates were chasing me and i think well anyways practice makes perfect that's first of all but the more you race the more you'll realize oh that was the right move oh that's the moment and just like kind of roll back the dice a little bit and see what happened before the move how did the move actually succeed and it, it is different in amateur racing than in pro racing, because usually in amateur racing, when a break goes and gets 30 seconds, they'll get more and more and they'll win. <laughs> so for me, when I was racing as a junior and saw a teammate chasing me, I would just not ride at all because I knew that he was committed to bringing the break back. I'd never chased a teammate just because I use up my energy helping my opponents, which in turn makes also me have less energy. So I would just play, even if I wanted to chase my t I would just try and get someone else to do it, sort of and make them do the work. And once they did, then I'd go.
1: And maybe the best way to think about this is you described sort of the two different ways of getting into breakaway as the first being like this this artistry that maybe works slightly better in a pro context, and the second being brute force. And I think it seems to me, at least from from what I remember of, of amateur bike racing, brute force tends to be the winner Uh, in the amateurs just simply because it's a little bit less organized uh, and that tends to work a little bit better inside chaos for sure
3: and and to add to that so i mean i'm coaching a lot of masters athletes a lot of people who are racing the local races are basically coaching a lot of guys who aren't at the tour of california and one of the things i really see with them they believe that you, you have to look for the one perfect move that you sit there in the race the whole day, all of a sudden you go, that's the move you jump it and you're in the breakaway. if you, you miss that perfect move, um, something was wrong and you have to figure out what you did there. Where my experience, what I always tell them is if you want to be in the breakaway, you're going to have to make a lot of moves. You're going to have to go with a lot of moves. You're going to have to attack multiple times and probably several of them are going to fail until you finally find that right move. And, you know, that's certainly, especially when it's a little more chaotic, at, at the not pro ranks, you have to do a lot more of that, but I'm sure that's also true at the, the pro ranks. Where- oh, totally.
2: Yeah. there's Both of those days when I've won in California, I've made several attacks and been in several moves off the front for different periods of time, but there's definitely not that one golden move, which you you're going to lift your butt up and suddenly be in the break and win. But at the same time, you have to be very conservative. I think, especially in amateur racing, from what I remember, and that wasn't that long ago, because it's my first year pro. Actually, <laughs> yeah. is uh, you have to let the first one third of the race go. You don't. You don't really move because the one the first first part of the race usually ninety five percent of the time, everyone's everyone has fresh legs, everyone feels like they can win today, everyone's going full on. So nothing really sticks. But once everyone gets tired, once there's more moves that are a bit more serious that you can you can see that they last a little bit longer, that's that's when you start moving. And it's hard to really force yourself in the break, especially if you're not as strong as everyone else but you can still get there and you can still if not win podium and to do that you just have to be smart and not attack not be the first one to attack you have to follow a couple of guys that are jumping across the breakaway or just make a good acceleration but not not go full on because you know someone's going to go over you meaning attack your attack just when they do that follow them straight away not hesitate because as soon as you hesitate there's a gap and you have to close it and that wastes energy yet again
1: so is it better to lead or to follow
2: you won't win a race just by following but at the same time you want to leave that following for as late in the race as possible
3: So how do you know when you're seeing all these attacks going and it's crazy in the field and the breakaway goes, it gets swallowed up, another one goes, how do you make the determination? No, I'm not going to go with that one. I'm not going to go with that one. Yeah, I'm going with that one. Well,
2: first of all, you have to read the group. And that means just look at the people around you and whether or not they're suffering, whether or not they're leaving bigger gaps than they would in the first part of the race. And the harder it gets the bigger the chance for the break to go. And that just means that the stronger guys will be in the front of the field. You have to follow the stronger guys if you're not the strongest. If you are the strongest, then it's pretty simple. You let the break get 30 seconds and bridge across
0: solo. That's it. I think think, um, in a sense that could be one of the bigger differences as well between pro and amateur racing is that you're racing against these guys all the time. A lot of them are known quantities. You know if Ian Standard goes, I'm going with that one. Yeah, Amateur racing, some locations, yeah, you might be racing against the same people all the time. But a lot of times you're not racing against known quantities. You don't know who's strong. You don't know if that's the right move because rider x is in there or not so you have to just be observant of how they are riding what they look like what they're doing how they're moving and positioning themselves because you those are little cues as to what kind of a rider you're dealing with and whether you want to be with them or not and of course everybody's results are online too now so you can do your research beforehand and, and get a get a sense of people there as well
1: probably a pretty good argument for developing a poker face then right
0: oh for sure but at the same time, you can have as
2: good a poker face as you want, but that gap between your front wheel and the back wheel of the guy in front of you
1: still opens. Right. And that's a much better indicator than, the, than your face. Yeah, yeah, for right. sure.
3: Huh. So, so another thing also when you're dealing with, uh, if you're in, in an amateur race where it's going to be a little more chaotic and you don't know the people out there, one of the things I always tell the athletes I coach is you really have to read the field. And this is true in the pro ranks as well, but especially in the amateurs when you... You don't necessarily know, oh, that's a guy to go with. And you don't really have that sort of an idea. Really watch what's going on with the field. As you said, don't go with the first breakaway, but watch how the field responds to the breakaway. If if five guys go up the road and the whole field's just like, ah, I got to go get that, and they're chasing it down really hard, you know, nothing's probably going to happen right now because the field's chasing everything down. If you see a couple guys go and the field's looking at one another, nobody seems to want to do anything and they're kind of sluggish, it means field's getting a little bit tired. They've done a lot of attacking. Nobody seems to want to chase it down. Now maybe you have a chance of getting away. So read the field a little bit before you decide when you want to try to attack, when you want to try to make a move.
0: I think uh, another interesting component there is pro racing, there is somewhat of a pattern to it. It's almost every stage or every race. There is a breakaway, and there's this establishment of a space and a uh, uh, understanding there. Not every amateur race has a breakaway. You know, right. you could go the entire day, and it's just a race of attrition, and, or at least nothing significant. Oh, right, nothing significant. Or there's attempt after attempt after attempt, and there's a, a immediate chase, immediate chase, immediate chase, and you get that sense. It's it's better to just be patient and and wait for the end of the day and use your bullets then instead of going with all these moves that aren't going to work.
3: The other thing I will tell you in a lot of amateur races is there are very predictable points in the race where people are going to decide to attack. If there's a hill on the course, (laughs) they're going to attack and try to break away. Likewise, everybody wants to, they don't want to take a big risk of breaking away an hour ahead, uh, an hour before the finish. So everybody's thinking, 20 minutes before the finish, I'm going to catch everybody off guard. I'm going to attack and, and break away. When you get to that 20-minute mark, the entire field just speeds up <laughs> and nobody breaks away. Nobody is So off guard. what you actually want to do, and especially in, in a race that's less organized where there, there aren't really teams controlling it, think about what seemed like the good places to break away. Don't break away there because everybody's thinking about those points. Look for the points on the course or in the race when nobody's expecting it. At those times, if you attack, a lot of people are going to go, what an idiot. He's attacking at the wrong time and they're just going to let you go up the road.
2: Well, also, you kind of have to play to your strengths. Yes, Our coach used to draw this diagram, well, three diagrams. One was hill in the beginning, flat after. Hill in the middle, flat after. And hill at the very end. And he would ask, well, so what's our tactics? Because, well, we're from Latvia. It's totally flat. There's no climbs. So you can't go uphill.
1: It purely hypothetical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so
2: the first one was get dropped in the first climb, chase the hallway, catch the group, sprint. The second one, the hill is in the middle. Try and get in the break in the beginning. Success, no success. Get over the climb, chase again, catch the group, sprint for the finish. And the final is just get in the break and try and survive the climb. So you got to play to your strengths if you know you're good on the hills. Ah, there's no waiting. There's n- no reason to wait for a sprint if you know you're a good sprinter try and anticipate the moves and just try and keep everyone together and have a couple of teammates maybe helping you and just wait for the sprint
1: i think uh, the 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 other side of that particularly for amateurs is to look for races that look like they're going to suit you so yes (laughs) you know that you're not a pro you don't have to go to every (laughs) single race that 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 Charlie Wigelius tells you to go to, uh, unlike Tom's here, uh, you can just go to the ones where you think you have a pretty good shot. Uh, And, you know, particularly if there are two races in a weekend and you're a sprinter, don't go to the criterion. Like it's things like that where set yourself up for success and then you can use your, hopefully, use your smarts and your strength to try to get in, in the right move.
0: I once heard, I don't know if it's a famous quote or not, but you attack when it's hardest. When everybody's suffering, Bernardi, Bernardino maybe it may, maybe it was, and I don't know if that is something that you you think about or follow that that rule.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like as I said, when it gets hard, that's when the break will go. And one of the like really significant things to look for is if there's a break of five, that's super dangerous, or whatever, a really dangerous break, and fields chasing really hard to get it back. As soon as the break will get caught, there will be that moment of hesitation. If everyone's already a little bit tired, where you go? Mm -hmm. Because everyone spends so much energy trying to chase the break
0: that once they get caught, there's nothing left. Yeah, and I I think that strategy is, is helpful for amateurs as well. It's like if everybody's patiently waiting because that climb's about to come, and everybody's sitting there and sitting there, and then the climb comes, and then everybody has the energy because they've been resting a little bit, then your chances of actually breaking away are a lot less because there's a lot of fresher legs. Whereas if everybody goes crazy up the climb and they stick together, and then you decide now is my time to go because everybody's cracked, that would be a wise strategy.
2: Yeah, especially if the climb doesn't go straight away into a downhill. Right. Because once you hit the top of the climb everyone's like who made it but actually the acceleration you make right after the climb just because it's from 10k an hour to 40k an hour is the hardest to follow and you can definitely tell also very much so in pro racing that that's when the big guys go and that's who still has that energy goes same as with intermediate sprints if there's an intermediate sprint everyone goes crazy for it If you attack after, Mm. if you can't attack after, but someone is attacking, that's when you follow.
1: How how do you know when you get into a break that this isn't going to be one of the ones that just gets brought back immediately? Or can you know?
2: So yeah, um, for sure, in amateur racing, there's not teams that are as... um, They're just not as... As organized. As organized, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So it's harder for a team to commit and break uh, and bring the break back. Whereas pros... The teams, the big teams that are going for the stage, either with the leader's jersey or with the sprinter or with the climber, they have to, they're the ones mostly controlling the brakes. And they decide who to let go, sort of. But at the same time, not always, because sometimes you just force yourself in the break. Mm-hmm. But then, it, then it's more so not an art, as you would say, but just brutal force. And sometimes that works. and Sometimes it doesn't. But I definitely look at the composition of the break. Because if there's three riders from small teams, there's no way the break survives. Because you need strong riders. You need good riders. And definitely there's a limit of uh, number of riders that can get in a successful breakaway. And... Depending on, that's dependent on the stage as well. Like on a flat day, there might, there might be a break of six, seven, eight, and they still get brought back on a hilly day, a break of four might survive. So you got to take into account what kind of day it is, who's going to be the one chasing. And if you see that one of the teams that would have to chase that have the sprinter, have the leader, and they're trying to get in the break you know
1: that something's up <laughs> what's up you know that the brake's going to stick <laughs> <laughs> basically because they're not they're not confident in their they're not activity. confident and
2: they just don't want to chase maybe they're tired mm. cuz in a long in a 7-day race there's there comes a day in a 3-week stage race there's <laughs> several days <laughs> where you just you're done
1: yeah and so if you if they send a rider up the road then they are essentially They're off-duty at that point? Yeah, because if you have a
2: teammate in the breakaway, then you have no incentive to chase. Mm
1: -hmm. Do you keep an eye on specific riders in terms of, like, you know, I really want to be in a break if this guy goes? Or are you pretty much just focused on your own? I
2: usually focus on my own. However, there are people that you know that they're strong, and if they get in the break, that you're going to get a good ride. So, for sure, there's more incentive in getting in those moves when there's some big guys up up ahead. Whereas, like, for example, in uh, one of the Italian one days I did at the end of the season, we had a big break just got brought back, which means it was really hard for a long time. And I saw Ian Stannard go. And when he goes, you go. (laughs) So it ended up being me, Ian Stannard, two more guys that were from smaller teams and one big trait guy. And we we were just rolling at like 52K an hour, just like nothing, <laughs> but because, the Peloton yeah, you... brought
1: us back cause <laughs> they knew that that was a serious move. Right, right. So it's this, it's this kind of odd balance between you need to be strong enough and not sort of, but not dangerously strong, is that, if that makes sense. True. I mean, you know, because like they see Ian go and that's that it. But
2: also for us, the bad thing was the teams that were represented in the break. Trek. Right. They had good riders there. Mm-hmm. And Sky had good riders there. And we had good riders there. Which meant three big teams with riders up the road. That put pressure on Tinkoff and Astana to chase it down. Because they would have to do the majority of the work. So they were like, oh we're not doing that (laughs) we're gonna we want one of those guys one of those teams to help as well so they were just straight on it and we were like away for 5 10k at 30 seconds which is very little but at the same time they can bring us back and we can get further
3: we had a chance to talk with retired professional rider ted king who's no stranger to breakways himself He agrees that there's a lot to be gained from watching and keying off other riders.
4: There's a lot of negative racing at at that level, shutting everything down and not letting certain breakways go, not letting certain teams go. But, sort of regardless of the peloton, regardless of the race level, there are certain guys, Cat 5, Cat 1, Domestic Pro, World Tour, who are known to be in the breakaway, And you can really key up on those guys. And as I'm talking about being in a certain strengths, climbing breakaway, uh, climbing, sprinting breakaway is also a strength. There's I some mean, guys who just have that, the knack. Yeah, like I said, queuing up off them and learning from them, not being dumb and wasting energy in rolling off the front and putting out 450 watts solo as the peloton is two seconds behind you. Cut your losses there and get ready for the next one. If
3: you were talking to a rider and explained to them how to watch the other riders, what would you be telling
4: them to look for? Watch, watch where people make a move. Basically, where they go from being the peloton to doing something extraordinary. Right? Being an individual, watching, watching somebody go from the peloton to an individual. Uh, whether they're attacking, whether they're trying to go into the breakaway, and look, learning from what they're doing. Does that make any sense? Yeah, the peloton because- is a hundred, a hundred people, and they are the peloton. And it's not until somebody's doing something outside of the the rest of the pack that makes the race unfold. So learn from what people are doing in that situation. Whether they're a specialist of any kind, cue off them. Or if they're being dumb, like we talked about what dumb is, then cue off what a dumb move is and don't waste that sort of energy.
3: So you just jumped into the breakaway. you got 15 seconds on the field. So that initial bit when you say, okay, I'm just going to work with the breakaway. How do you get away from the field? How do you prevent the field from swallowing you up?
2: All the, all the riders just have to commit. If someone is not committing. As soon as one rider doesn't, then another rider is doubting, a third rider is doubting, and the breakaway is done. How how vocal do you get at that point? Tell us the things I, you say. No, <laughs> I don't usually get vocal. I usually I, I sometimes say, "Let's just get a gap, just get a gap, then figure it out." I don't usually yell, but <laughs> we all get we all we've all been there where it's too heated and you're like, right. "God damn it!" I want to be in this move. I want to make it work. Why aren't you
3: riding? <laughs> so we have bleep technology as well. To see now, yeah. <laughs> my favorite one that I unfortunately got was uh, they rape people like you in prison. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> bleep, 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 bleep.
2: <laughs> like for me, for sure, if you don't want to ride with the breakaway, why would you even be there? Like, what's the point? Just yeah. sit in the field and wait for the sprint, or. Of course, if you have a teammate that's preparing for the sprint and you just want to kill the breakaway, well, you got to get rid of that guy.
3: So what I'm hearing from you, which I agree with 100%, if you jump into the move, don't think too much. Just put your head down, go really hard. You're going to have time later to think and figure out the people you're with and how to win the race. But first, just got to get that gap in the field, get that minute.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the brute force part. You use the term gave us four minutes when you were when you were talking about your your breakaway last year can you talk a little bit about the reasons why a peloton might give you four minutes i so, mean that's to, to the lay person that seems a little bit odd and we certainly <laughs> see, we see it happen in in grand tour stages right like that the breakaway goes away and they and they're given a certain amount of time is there somebody in the peloton that's deciding when that happens
2: so that's one of the big dif- key differences, I'd say, between amateur racing and uh, pro racing is that especially on days when the breakaway has no chance of surviving, meaning flat days when sprinters are going to ride for a sprint or mount tops. Well, I didn't say no chance, but little chance of surviving where it's one of the key stages and the key riders want to win. Then the Peloton might give a breakaway 10 minutes and not worry about it. And why they do this is because if you, you keep the breakaway at one minute, then it's really hard to jump across. Well, I, I mean, really easy, easier, really easy to jump across to the breakaway, which would make the breakaway more dangerous. There would more be more people in the break and so on and so forth. And people just keep jumping across, jumping across, and the breakaway would get out of control. So they would have to close it down. That's why they give more time, at least three, four minutes, which means that in the peloton, when you start chasing, you're going fast. So no one can make a sudden acceleration and gain a minute. So that's actually
1: the control in the chaos, so to say. All right. So I think we've covered how to get in the move pretty well. It's all about timing. Sometimes about strength, uh, definitely play to your strengths. If, if you're a good climber, go on a climb, etc. But once you're in that move, you have to decide whether you want to work inside it and whether you actually want it to succeed, whether you think you can succeed and how much energy you want to put into that breakaway. So The next question is, how do you decide if it's worth working with the guys or girls that you just found yourself
3: in a breakaway with? And something I want to add to that, that that gives us a bit of a transition from what we were just talking about. I tell athletes all the time, don't spend too much time in the field trying to decide if that breakaway that's riding away from you is the right move or not. Because eventually it's going to get really hard to bridge across. Instead... If you get a bit of a sense of that might be the right move, well, it's only 10 seconds away from the field. It's better to jump across, get in the break. And once you're in the break, then decide, is this one that I want to work with? Do I think this is a move that's worth wasting some energy for? Don't spend too much time thinking about it until it gets too late when you're in the field. Well, I guess the the, the the
1: basics of the answer come back to who you're in the break with, whether you think it's... Chances of success are particularly high, and then if it is successful, where like where you think your chances stand in in a finish with these guys, right? So, Tom, let's go back to your to your California ride. This year was was the big started as a big group, correct? Yeah. You get into that group. Do you, do you do a bit of see who's around, see who worries you, see you know, do you know generally who you can take in a sprint and who you can't, and who you're worried about and who you're not? A lot of the times you don't.
2: But at the same time, well, especially in pro racing, there's so many directors and everyone has a director following them and results are just a Google search away. Actually, I don't think that happens too often, but you can tell a little bit from a build of the rider. You can tell by your strengths and you can tell as the race goes on, who's suffering a little bit on the hills, who's pulling hard on the flats and just read the riders around you. You can't tell that in the first 5k. So any break I get into, I work with it. Unless I know I can win in a sprint, I work with it. Cause even if I get lost from the break, I'm still gonna be ahead of the whole field. And that's how you gain experience. Cause even if you're in that break, it doesn't necessarily mean that that exact break composition is gonna make it to the line there's still however many kilometers left, miles left to... You can do kilometers. (laughs) (laughs) There's still however much left in the race to actually decide if you want to get away from the brake or if you want to keep the brake together. Do you need to stay with the brake? Can you go solo after this? Are you even capable of doing anything or just staying on the back and trying to follow? So there's a lot of components that come into play, but for me, I would always suggest just riding at least the first five K to establish a gap. Cause once you do that, then you can actually reassess. Cause if you sit up and the gap is only 30 seconds, the field's going to come back really quick. Whereas if you sit up and you have a minute, then you can actually bluff. You can actually say, oh, I know you, you're going to beat me in a sprint. So I'll do less work or I'll do zero work. And as the other people will have that one minute, they'll be like, "Ah, I don't want to lose, so I'll better ride. Mm -hmm. But for sure, my my first thing is just ride. Because so many times you see guys just, oh, that's a sprinter. I'm sitting up. But if there's still 20 miles left, you you can get rid of the sprinter in the last three and win.
1: How, is there are there more effective ways to work inside a breakaway where you can save a little bit of energy perhaps without your breakaway companions noticing because if they notice they're going to get pissed as you said yeah
2: for sure there's a little tricks and nicks that you do first thing as soon as pretty much as soon as you get in the break and get the chance get behind the biggest rider <laughs> the more draft you get the more energy you'll save and it it actually helps over However long that race is, because usually what it comes down to inches and millimeters, you know? Mm -hmm. So for sure, you want to save every little bit you can. And then for us, we start like in the pro ranks, you start playing with the field because you know they're not going to let you get seven minutes. So you don't ride as hard. Whereas amateur racing, you're going to sit up, well, they'll chase you down. But if you feel like it's a more controlled race and that there's actually a team chasing, then they will not want to chase you back right right then and there they'll want to leave you guys out there for a little bit at least and then bring you guys back so depending on that either you keep riding as hard as you can almost or you just let the breakaway ease up a little bit cuz the field's going to ease up and you save that energy and you prolong at least that survival of the breakaway
1: is there any point at which you, you start skipping turns and things like that? Is that just like the end is near?
2: Yeah, for sure. Like if you know you're not going to win in a sprint yeah. and there's 5K left and there's nothing else you can do besides trying to get the other riders to work harder than you. And so you'll have fresher legs whereas they're faster and gamble on that. That's sometimes all you can do. If you know that you've got a teammate that's quicker than you, and if you're with five riders, you get third, and he'd get at least second. Then you gamble on that. You tell them that you have a better sprinter, even you don't, because <laughs> what are they gonna do? <laughs> they still have to ride for sure.
3: So I was a breakaway rider myself, and it's simply because in a sprint, because Trevor can't sprint as a way. <laughs> Well, thin wet paper. <laughs> so I, you know, all of my wins were in breakaways. It was the only way I could win a race. And I always thought of that once you were established, breakaway was all about sizing up your opponents, figuring out where they were at, well misleading them about where you yourself were at. Yeah. So what are some ways, especially if you're in a breakaway with somebody you don't really know? What are some various ways while you're actually working together to start sizing them up and, and figuring out uh, how much energy they have, how tired they are, what their strengths are, and, and how you're going to beat them? Well, we, we've all done group rides, and we
2: all can, all can tell, oh, that guy's getting dropped. So you just use that. You just use your ex- previous experience. You look who's pushing harder on the uphills, like who's making the big turns on the uphills. If he's making you hurt on the uphills then you should worry about him attacking you in uphills. And if he's strong on the flats, then watch out for any crosswind. If you know you can not beat him and have to make him work more than you, for sure do shorter pulls and try and not not, not let him notice. But also try and make him take the hard... Like if there's crosswind, try and make him take... The windy side to get past you. And all these little tricks come into handy, and you'll learn them sooner or later if you keep right racing And yeah, you just try and save as much energy as possible.
3: One of my favorite tricks when I'm up against a guy who seems like he's really strong is I get in front of him in the rotation, I take a very sharp short pull and then i pull off and i don't really slow down <laughs> and force him to have to accelerate yeah, around exactly. me every time and, and waste that little bit extra energy uh every bit helps you know fast talk is sponsored by quark the brand that connects bicycling's most talented innovators with the sport's early adopters power meters Quark collector shockwiz and the calvin app are a few of their great ideas Quark continues to refine its fast-track pipeline for new products and innovations, so be sure to follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
1: Yeah, so as you've probably heard over the last couple episodes, we've had Quark as a presenting sponsor, which we're pretty stoked about because Trevor and I are both we're both pretty big fans of Quark anyway. Uh, in fact, Trevor,
3: you were somewhat involved in their, in their early days, weren't you? So back in 2008... I was using another power meter where I was having serious issues with customer service. Short version is my battery was starting to go dead. And by the time my battery finally got fixed, it cost me $800. Hmm. So I found out about Quark and I contacted them. And, and when I told them that we had a lab at the center and we had a Velotron in there, they they were really interested in... Uh, testing out the quarks up against the Velatron. So, so this is like really early days of Quark. Right? This is actually before yeah. they had released any quarks to the market. So right. this is still when they were in development, and so I helped them for for several months with testing the various quarks. Mm-hmm. And we should say that you know Trevor and I don't uh, we don't sell ads into fast stock We have
1: people for that. when And at velon is here, we have a very distinct ad edit split. But when we heard that Quark was coming on, you know, I think sometimes when 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 <laughs> There's always the potential to get a sponsor that you don't necessarily uh, fully stand behind, but this is not one of those instances. This is one so. of the
3: ones I got really excited when I heard yeah. this. is So a we're sponsor. pretty excited to have
1: Quark on as
0: presenting sponsor. Have Have you ever been in a solo breakaway?
2: Yeah, my first um, California win. Well, it wasn't like solo from the gun, but right. it was solo for 50k or so. Was it? Okay. Yeah, I guess you knew better. But than me. It, but <laughs> it was a, at the same time when you're climbing. Solo is almost the same as not solo. Sometimes it's even easier solo because you go at the same speed right, all the time. Right. Whereas in the field, they're just jumping after moves or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So like, what did you do? What did what did the last, talk us through like the last, you know, 510K of your California win this year? Because it was pretty tight and there was a, it was quite a lot of tactical maneuvering in the last couple of Ks there, right?
2: Yeah. So there was three of us up the road. And then the breakaway that we left behind chasing, but the field wasn't that far off. And in the end, it was the three of us finishing together. One rider from the breakaway, remains of the breakaway, finishing after us, 20-ish seconds back. And then the field not too far after. So we kind of had the upper hand there because we did have the gap. And it was 10K to go, mostly downhill, technical so the field's not going too too fast so we would do really short turns because as soon as you do a big turn and go too deep you open yourself for an attack so we did all, all all three of us did smaller turns shorter turns and look at each other try and figure out who's who's suffering a bit more than other one is and if i should attack attack or not i was pretty confident in that final uphill, and even if someone had attacked, I would be able to follow for sure and then probably beat them in a sprint. But just because it was uphill, I didn't want to attack first because you still, even though it's uphill, there's still draft. And if you attack, we were at altitude. And go in that red zone and someone stays with you, they've got the upper hand. Right. So I just waited for the last 200 meters and... Had my chain in my big ring, had the gears right, and just sprinted for the line. Were
1: you concerned coming into that? Or are you pretty confident?
2: You're, there's always doubt. There's uh, You never know because it was the longest day of racing.
0: But the longer the race, the better for me. That's why I picked the long and hard stages. Where do you, um, you know, the, the breakaway is an interesting place to be because at, at a certain time, you're essentially working with people on another team that become your teammates to stay away, to get away, to stay away, and hopefully remain away until the end. And then, of course, there's a point. Uh-oh, we're now enemies again. We're fighting for the win if you know you're going to stay away. Where, when does what? What's that transition like? It's a slow transition for
2: the most part, unless it's like, yeah, there's no, like, bang, oh, now we're teammates, now we're done. Because <laughs> you still... There's not a lot of times you have that gap so much that you can play around as much as you want. So there definitely is, you s- you start feeling the other rider to either not pull as hard as they used to or skip a turn while drinking a bottle and just the tiny little things. And definitely you have to do the same thing. <laughs> you have to save that energy because there will be a moment when he's going to attack Or if you want to drop them, you'll have to attack.
3: So one of the best descriptions I have I think I feel I've ever heard of breaking away is if the field wants to catch a breakaway, it doesn't matter who's in there. The field can always catch a breakaway. So really the art of breaking away is somehow convincing the field to let you win the race. So let me throw that question out. How do you convince the field to let you win?
2: I would agree with that. Yeah. There's a lot of times when you definitely can't get away because the field just won't let you. But that brute force still works sometimes, but for sure more so it's that art of convincing the field that, no, oh, it's fine, we'll catch them later. And it's hard one. I'm not really sure how you do that, but definitely field has to be a little bit tired If they're tired that just means their decision-making is not as good as when they're fresh and yeah you just have to once you get in that break if you can save as much energy and don't make a huge gap because if the gaps big then everyone's gonna be on all decks on hand and just chasing you down just keep the gap reasonable and save some energy because when the field starts chasing that's
3: when the real race
2: starts right
3: that's actually always been my personal trick in a breakaway that i've found works really well is not killing myself at the beginning and saving some energy so that when the field starts chasing you you lift up your pace and go really hard because if they get time checks and the time's not coming down that's really demotivating to the field and exactly sometimes yeah. encourage them not to chase you because they're going to think Damn, we can't bring this in for sure,
2: and then they just start racing for a second, yeah. And if they start racing for a second, then it's over,
0: right? Then you've definitely won. I don't know that I agree that it, you, oh, the, the, field, the, field, the field lets Chris you. It's over. In. It's I, over. I know, I, know. I, <laughs> I waited until now to, because it could lead us to our long. No, no, keep going, keep going. No, I'm just like, it's not. it's not a perfect example, but. Quintana, Contador, Stage 15, Vuelta. They broke away. You think the field wanted them to win that stage without it coming back? No.
2: Well, exactly. That's what I mean.
1: Brute force. Yeah. Sometimes,
0: but he said it. It's it's the field lets the breakaway win, and I don't think that that's true. I think
1: it, yeah. I think it's. I think it's just a split, right? It's the art versus brute force yeah. side, right? If it's a, if it's an artful breakaway, then yeah, it's you know.
2: And at the same time, like a lot of times, the break gets let go, but then, well, sometimes the break goes K zero. No one cares, right? Because everyone's going to bring them back. That's when the field actually lets. But yeah, if it's the last thirty Ks, there's no letting go.
3: And there also is a geography factor. Absolutely. If if you got a couple HC climbs and some great climbers break away. Field might not have a choice; they're just going to climb the field, and there's nothing they can do. Yeah. So it isn't always true, but it's.
2: Yeah, like it's most of the times when the break wins, the field has screwed up, and <laughs> right, right, not let them go. Like, yeah, sometimes they like this year. California win for sure. The field could have caught, uh, maybe not. <laughs> Never, <laughs> mind. <laughs> Never mind. You're just too
1: strong. Oh, 20 guys. Come on. <laughs> Bring back 20 guys. You need 40. All right. That was another episode of Fast Talk. We'd love your feedback. Email us at webletters at Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Make sure to leave us a rating and a comment on any of those podcast services. While you're there, be sure to check out our sister podcast, The Vela news Podcast, which is sort of more news and banter about uh well the weeks bike racing basically become a fan of velo news on facebook at facebook.com slash and follow us on twitter at twitter.com slash fast talk is produced by velo news which is owned by competitor group the thoughts and opinions expressed on fast talk are those of the individual they're also brilliant for trevor connor chris case and our special guest tom tom's squinch Closer that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am Kaylee Fritz. Thanks for listening.